0: 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Thank you to the beautiful Queen Victoria and her wonderful long weekend that she left behind. Hope it has been a good one for you. Thanks for wrapping it up with Inside Sports here on 630 Chad. My name is Reed Wilkins. It is a best of edition of the show today. We'll look back on some of our favorite interviews and sound bites from the last uh, few weeks here on the show hope you've been uh, having a good time following the Stanley Cup playoffs, the NBA playoffs, uh, the PGA Championship over, over the weekend. There has been a lot going on and we are rolling into the CFL season training camp started over the weekend. The Eskimos have a preseason game already coming up on Sunday Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium. They'll take on the BC Lions. We'll have it for you on 6:30 Ched with the countdown to kickoff at 12:30 and the game will start at too. of course they did get the uh, CFL CBA done in time for camp to start on time there's not going to be any worries about uh, missed games or anything like that I, I had a great time um, uh, back on May 2nd it was the CFL draft that I got to do inside sports from Commonwealth Stadium and Eskimos defensive back Jordan Hoover dropped by it was uh, really cool to talk to him graduate of the University of Waterloo and he told me all about his draft day when he was selected in 2017
1: i mean i remember going through you know all the emotions um you know i went from wanting wanting to watch the door uh sorry watch the draft you know locked in my room by myself behind the closed door to sitting in front of all my friends and family then then uh so i did end up um having a little draft party at my girlfriend's house uh lots of lots of friends and family present um you know um Obviously, the dream was to get drafted. To me, at the time, it didn't matter where, when. I just wanted an opportunity to play. Um, you know, my my draft and my past, uh, my story is a little bit different. Uh, you know, I had to work really hard. You know, I played for a university team that is at the time, struggling. Now, doing a lot better. Uh, University of Waterloo had um, won, you know, two 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 games in in the four years I played there. Um, you know, I went uh, one and seven, one and seven, zero oh and eight, zero oh and eight. So even the the back two back end two games, I hadn't had a win coming into the whole draft process, combine season. So for me, um, the biggest thing was you know promoting myself at the combine level and so it was a big focus on being you know mentally and physically prepared for that because that was really my opportunity to stand out you know it's it's hard to stand out on a team that is struggling to even get a win um i know the oua is a, a top tier you know um a division but uh you gotta you gotta be winning games you know but um Thankfully, I had a good showing at the combine, and and like we had discussed earlier, a lot a lot of consideration and putting value on a player comes from their game film, which I had a lot of from Waterloo. Um, and thankfully, uh, Edmonton took a chance on me in the fourth round. I didn't have to uh, wait too too long, but uh, uh, you know, I was always thankful for the opportunity.
0: You bring up those records in Waterloo, unfortunately familiar for Alberta Golden Bears fans. Some mm-hmm. some moment eight seasons on their ledger. Recently, they were in Canada West playoffs a couple of years ago, lost to the to the Calgary Dinos. But yeah, you talk about getting noticed on those on those teams. And probably if your team isn't doing as well, maybe the scouts aren't paying as much attention to you, and maybe they're thinking, okay, this Hoover kid mm-hmm. is is making plays. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if they're asking themselves. Okay, is he actually right. th- that good, or is he just a good player on a bad team? And, right. m- and maybe yeah, he yeah. wouldn't be look as good on another team. You must have had to overcome that a little bit.
1: Yeah, so that, like I said, exactly why I thought the combine was uh, it was so important to me as because in- at the combine it is an individual event, right? Right. You are promoting yourself. You you know you you are affiliated to your team and you want to represent your team and represent it well. But at the end of the day, this is your showing and your opportunity. So um, yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's easy to be noticed on a team that's you know vany caliber and you know the star receiver quarterback or db on those teams making the plays on the on the big stage but you know you have you know guys like you know jesse just went second overall came came to waterloo at a time where we his first two years he never won a game and now just second overall pick that just goes to show you how you know speaking for waterloo how the whole culture is changing but at the same time like if you have the talent and the skill and the drive, the determination, the scouts are going to find you no matter where you're hitting. Um, Sometimes they might have to look a little bit harder on those bottom, you know, place teams, but if you're there, they'll find you. Absolutely, I believe that.
0: Jordan Hoover from the Edmonton Eskimos joining us on Inside Sports. We're live at Commonwealth Stadium tonight. Third overall, the Eskimos have taken defensive lineman Matthew Betts out of Laval. Okay, well, let's go uh, back a little bit. Where'd you grow up?
1: Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. A little uh, northern town. Population of about $75,000. 75,000. All right. And when did you start playing football? Uh 8 years old. And who got you into it? Uh you know, I just it was just the thing to do I think at the time. Uh my dad, my dad is a hockey player. So we come from a hockey family and I, you know, I remember having a conversation with my mom and my and my dad was on the phone and you know, we're you know, like a young uh, hockey draft and where we were going to go. And we just, I have a twin brother. I should start with that. I okay. Guess. So we were both kind of saying what we wanted to do. And we just said, no, not hockey. We, uh, we want it to be football. Your brother too. Yeah. Both of us together. What's his name? Uh, Brock, Brock okay. Hoover. Um, so it was, it was football right from eight years old and never looked back from there. I mean, I, I had an opportunity to play other sports, you know, I like, you know soccer, basketball, and kind of pick your favorite, but it was always football since the first time I put a, the you know the cleats on it at eight years old. I Do you remember
0: what you liked about it? Um, I mean, did you watch a lot of CFL or NFL no, on TV? See, that's
1: the thing. It was. <laughs> I, I, it, it might sound crazy, but I don't know if it was the competition between my brother and I all the time, you know, going at it in the backyard or just you know running into people at full speed. I don't I don't know what it is, but I fell in love with it at an early age.
0: Jonathan Kong. Bo, defensive end out of tennessee has been uh taken by winnipeg fifth overall they had two two picks in a row so another uh defensive lineman going pretty high yeah wow so you start playing when you're eight yes now is that was that at a time you did like did you dabble in every position both
1: sides of the ball before you found one you know what i've always been a defensive guy I don't know if you know what like growing up though uh my brother and I we were very small for our age so we were always like the small fast guys uh so I think you know showing up to a team at eight years old and being undersized they don't really know where to put you kind of thing so <laughs> they just kind of probably gave me the uh yeah start them out at you know a That was it. It stuck. Since 8 years old, you know, uh, that's it. 18 years of playing defensive back. I mean, I had the opportunity at Waterloo and and, in, you know, our summer league to get on the offensive side of the ball to, you know, run a couple, you know, routes and catch the ball with the speed I had. But defense all the way. Oh, yeah, entirely. Mm -hmm. All right. So
0: you go to university, you draft by the Eskimos. What do you remember about showing up at, uh, at Eskimos training camp? Maybe some of the first drills. I mean, I know at the time you probably were telling yourself you were right. prepared.
1: Were you actually prepared looking back? I mean, <laughs> I mean, the politically correct answer is yes, I was prepared, but let's, let's be honest here. Um, it was overwhelming there was times you know where you ask yourself do I belong here what am I doing here you're you know from from a kid at Waterloo and from a small town in northern Ontario to getting drafted I mean it was you're on a team at the time I remember seeing you know Mike Riley a Darius Bowman you know there's these big names that I was watching in high school and now they're my teammates and oh yeah now go cover him and stop Mike from throwing on the ball kind of thing so you're just like whoa it's very surreal you know you almost come in here shell-shocked but you got to remember you know have confidence in yourself like the team saw something in you and you they you deserve to be here you put in the work and stuff like that so you know I did it struggle internally you know um battling myself I think but uh yeah well what like it was just quite the experience like it just just taking it in but then you know, the first whistle goes and you don't have time to think. You're right into that first drill going, you know what I mean? So it was just, uh, it just, but by the time you took it all in, you're already halfway through the first drill and then, it, and then it's just football. I mean, it's just football. So
0: what was the internal competition? Like were the vets and other young guys, were you, were you helping each other out or yeah. did you kind of have to be like, no, 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 we're all kind of against each other.
1: Well, that's, you know, that's always the debate is like where do you draw the line but I I mean we all have one common goal you know what I mean so there's, there's this sport is about competition competition against the other teams in the league but competition even within your own players group you know what I mean at the end of the day you can only have certain so many people on the field at once and everybody wants to be that one person so there's never like You know, the friction of, like, two guys that are, like, always going at it because they think they deserve to be out there over the, other. It's it's the guys are always challenging you to to better each other. There's never, you know, like, a a huge rivalry or, like, any days I can remember, like, too much animosity amongst our groups. It was, like, a close-knit family always always challenging each other and always trying to hold each other accountable and bring out the best, uh, uh, you know, most potential and the best you are as a player from within each other. So, I mean, I can't... There's never much of a – you know what I mean? Like, never much of a, it's not um, – I'm not really sure where I'm trying to go with this, but there's never like
0: a – Like you're going to give a guy a cold, yeah, a cold shoulder exactly, if he yeah, – exactly Or, you know, right. if you know how to play something, you're going to pass on exactly. the knowledge you might have. What do you remember about your first game?
1: Wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, like, are we talking preseason or regular season? Well, we'll do regular season. Uh, first regular season, I just – I remember being on the starting kickoff, and like I remember in preseason getting like those like pre, like jitters out of the way. Like that was like your first official pro game, but like the first official pro game. Like I remember being in BC and 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 running with the wave on kickoff and watching the ball go up and and just like all the fans and and the guy returning it, and it's just like this is this is unbelievable. This is so surreal, and then it's just. You're right back into it, and it's football. Like I, The amount of times, you know, I think I've been uh, dressed for 35 of 36 games in the last two years, and, you know, it's amazing to run out of the tunnel and see all the fans, but as soon as that game starts, you just it's just all you see really is the field. It's right. just football, you know what I mean? Don't You try not to get caught up too much in, in what you're seeing other than the game itself because it's, it's your job. You know, you're still, you're still out there to perform your job and perform it well adjustments in terms of the uh you know I guess
0: they you're you're playing now men you're playing better players mm-hmm. I mean right it goes from u sports to now right. the the best in the, the best in canada what
1: what sort of adjustments did you find well obviously the speed the speed was mm-hmm. the first thing you notice i mean you could have been the fastest guy in college arguably and now you're arguably maybe the one of the slowest guys on your team <laughs> compared to some of these guys you're covering. So I mean, um the obviously the that um the mental the mental part of the game, um, knowing the playbook and all the transitions and just like having a defense that changes based on a formation that the offense may possibly be coming out and how you as a safety, how you um Make the transition to fit that offense as a defense, and you're in charge. You're the you're the d- defense's quarterback in a way, right? You're telling everyone how to get into position and stuff like that. Uh, so obviously uh, the mental one, but uh, also the fact that everybody is good. Like everybody is incredible athletes. Like in college you might you know, you might get away with knowing a guy on the offense isn't really gonna get that look because, you know, there's better guys that may maybe around him, but like here He's not
0: just the fifth option, he's no option.
1: (laughs) Right, exactly. Now it's everybody's an option. Like the quarterback is going to make his reach, he's gonna find the open guy. You and you have to like everybody like everybody's a threat now kind of thing. So it just the competition, everything, everybody, everything is increased. Everything's heightened, like the speed, the mental aspect, the physicality. Like you said, they're men now, right? And these are their jobs. They're trying to feed their families. Like if you're trying to beat them, you're trying to take the food off their plate kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? So no one gives that up lightly. So it's uh, very, very competitive out here.
0: Jordan Hoover from the Edmonton Eskimos joining us on Inside Sports. We're live in Commonwealth Stadium. The transition for you. So your your college team didn't make the playoffs. No. So you played 16 games your last two years yes. of U Sports, mm-hmm. and then you've played 18 and 17 games. Yes. Because so, <laughs> some guys struggle with that, right? There well, have been guys well, you know, both both from NCAA
1: and U Sports. They peter out well, late in the season. Well, for some teams, and, you know, like I, I made the joke one time, uh, like in my first year at Waterloo, you were only expected to play eight games. We weren't making playoffs. It was just, uh, it was just a fact at the time, unfortunately. Uh, like I said, completely different now. So coming into a league my first year, we played 18 and then played two playoff games. So we played 20 games. So I almost fit three of my Waterloo seasons into Great. one. So part of being a pro is making that adjustment is how do you adjust to the pro level and how, and how you're taking care of your body and stuff like that that was the biggest factor for me so I actually uh, fought through an injury my first year and I fought it for you know a couple of weeks to the point you know where it got you can't play you're not mm-hmm. playing this game I think it was maybe game 14 out of the 18 game season and it just it just got to a point where my body didn't really know how to adjust to to the length of the season at the time so my big off season focus that year was Rehabilitating my body and taking care of it and learning how to pr- be a pro in that aspect that I I never I kind of took for granted I like you, you, you love the play of the sport and stuff But you forget how much goes into it how much practice how the toll it it is on your body It's different than playing the eight I mean you got all those extra practices all those extra games the games are the easy part You just go out there the adrenaline's kicking flying around but a lot of injuries happen in practice You know like stuff you can't control and you just gotta prepare your body as best as you can to be able to withstand you know, twenty twenty something weeks of football.
0: All right, so uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit about about last year. Obviously, you guys missed the playoffs despite mm-hmm. going nine and nine. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're looking out on the brick field at Commonwealth Stadium, seven and two at home, two and seven on the road. Mm-hmm. So a win or two away from home, you know, you would have got in. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, you guys had what four, five, six second halves where you just both sides of the ball. A player two might have won it and just, just didn't get made. I mean, does that still nag at you a bit?
1: Of course. I mean I would be lying if I say it didn't. Um I mean we, we tried to win those games it's as simple as that there's not, no point did anybody say ah, well you know next game we're not worried about this one like we're out there to compete the best we can uh we trust the guys that are on the field the coaching staff in place you know we're all there to do a job like i said we all have one common goal and uh, you know the cards didn't fall our way. and uh you know at the 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 people you line up across from they're trying to win the game too sometimes it goes your way sometimes it doesn't but it for sure was never because of lack of effort
0: that was jordan who- Hoover from your Edmonton Eskimos. Uh, the Eskimos defense will be very interesting to watch this season. Obviously, the 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 big story for the Eskimos in the offseason was Mike Riley leaving through free agency to the BC Lions, but they bring in Trevor Harris, pretty good quarterback in his own right. So quarterback gets most of the attention and uh, you know may, maybe gets too much attention sometimes, maybe too much of the blame, too much credit, depending on how things go. But I think as a unit, you have to look at the Eskimos defense Uh, Philip Lawley the new defensive coordinator coming in he'd been with the team before under Chris Jones a lot of players are excited about playing for him and a whole new linebacking core JC Sherritt retires Larry Dean coming in with two other new linebackers as well so I'm really I I know that the the big name is is Harris coming in as the quarterback but I I think we could see the biggest changes in performance as a unit on the defensive side of the ball for the green and gold this is the best of inside sports on 630 Chad. All right, good to have you tuning in tonight, talking about CFL quarterbacks, one of the best all-time, retired earlier this month, and you got to know him well, straight from the potato chip delivery truck to starring for your Edmonton Eskimos. Uh, Many years ago, he burst onto the scene in 2002, two great cups with the Eskimos, two more in Toronto, and that, of course, is Ricky Ray. He was a longtime teammate, and a longtime friend of Eskimos head coach Jason Moss, who says no doubt about it, Ricky Ray, one of the best all time.
2: He's a legend in the sport, in the CFL. I mean, there's, I don't think that you can question that. I mean, he's, you know, he started and won four great cups. He's, I believe he's the leader in our franchise in Edmonton. He's the leader in Toronto's franchise in passing. That's hard to do in two storied franchises in the CFL. And, uh, you know, that's, it's hard to do that. And I mean, there's certainly more accolades than that that you can press upon him, but, you uh, you know, he's and, and all through that. You never had to worry about Ricky off the field, on the field. He was a leader in the locker room. He's a leader um, in his own way um, and, and, and in style. Um, so there's no question. I can tell you this. Generally, quarterbacks get uh, you know judged by how they win or whether they can win ball games, the big ball games. And I don't think anyone would question putting Ricky back there with needing a drive to score a touchdown to win a great cup, I think a lot of people would put him back there to do that. And, uh, you know, and he'd come through more often than not.
0: Hard to argue with him. If you wanted a guy who was calm and cool in the clutch, than you wanted Ricky Ray. He got it done more often than not, playing in Toronto and playing here in Edmonton. All right, we will uh, jump into some hockey talk when we get back. We'll uh, take a further look at new Oilers general manager, Ken Holland, and also a hockey dad who got to see his kid make his NHL debut during the playoffs. That story when we get back. Best of Inside Sports on 630 Chad. Okay, appreciate you tuning in tonight. Reed Wilkins with you. This is the Best of Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630 Chad. Don't forget... Eskimos game broadcast coming up on Sunday. Preseason game number one for the green and gold. They'll take on the BC Lions. Our coverage will start at 1230. The game will kick off at two. Well, a crazy first round in the Stanley Cup playoffs. All those upsets, including Colorado taking down the Calgary Flames in five games in the first round. And that was uh, an interesting one because a young man by the name of Cale McCarr, who grew up a Flames fan, made his NHL debut on the blue line of the Colorado Avalanche. Really, a really good young player. Had an excellent NCAA career. And I got to speak to his dad, Gary, the day before Colorado started their series against the San Jose Sharks.
3: It's just been incredible. And I think everything is, it's sort of so much, but so quick. And each one of these things we've had the joy of experiencing from the NCAA regionals to going to the Frozen Four, to the Hobie Baker, to the Frozen Four final, and then signing a contract zipping off to Kale from Buffalo uh, to Toronto to Denver and then us flying in for the first game and late notice and you wish you had a few weeks to savor every one of them because they're all just amazing experiences but uh, everybody should have these problems Reed that's for sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah for sure man Man, that's that's quite an experience and and, uh, it's been cool for me following Kale and, and being at the draft when he was picked, and I remember that, that day there was all of a sudden that scuttle almighty actually wound up going first or second, still went in, incredibly high. And, and and for me, I love that he, he came through the AJHL because I spent a good chunk of my career covering that league and, and covering mostly the teams in, in Lloydminster and Bonneville. So that's really cool. I want to get to that, but I, I want to go back to the beginning with you. Do you remember the first time, Cale was on skates or or, or getting him into hockey? I mean, I know in Canada we usually start pretty young. Uh, what's uh, what's the story there?
3: Absolutely, and it, it, I certainly do, and it's kind of bizarre in that uh, the area, the Kananaskis, just outside the Rockies there, there's all types of little ponds and skating areas, and there's a place called uh, Allenville Pond, and the first time we put him on skates was on outdoors in a beautiful little mountain setting like that. might have been maybe in a little our backyard first in a small thing, but really the skating and putting on actual skates, and he wasn't even two, and he could kind of motor around. So it was pretty neat. Uh, and then ever since then, like every, everybody in Calgary and Edmonton, you got a backyard rink that your kids live on, a community rink, and it just sort of came absolutely natural to him.
0: Well, that that's amazing, and that that always helps if uh, if if a, if a young uh, man or woman, a young uh, boy or girl, has that that natural affinity towards a sport. Now, uh, obviously, you have uh, a son, Taylor, playing for the Brooks Bandits as well. Incredible yep. program in the AJ. So, I got to ask: are, are you athletic, Gary? Is this all coming from you? What's your sporting background?
3: I, I think our whole family's always been athletic in a lot of sports, and then my dad coached baseball and hockey when he was younger. Never coached me in hockey. But uh, kind of a a real neat catalyst was when we were really young, well, I have a cousin, um, Tom Lysiak, they might remember that name from Medicine Hat Tigers, and he was drafted by Atlanta, number two overall, then went on to be a very good success with Chicago Blackhawks. But Tommy was 10 years older than my brother and and me, and uh, he kind of gave us, you know, the whole, wow, you could become a hockey player sort of thing was the real emotional catalyst for us. And, It was funny because Tom and Lanny McDonald at the time were the big stars in medicine hat and they'd come to our place in Calgary in the summer and here we'd be playing ball hockey in the backyard with Tom Lysiak and, and Lanny McDonald and Stan Weir would be in there too. And you just always loved hockey from that. And with my dad coaching getting us into the game, it just was all natural. But we played every sport when we were young. So when we had kids, and I loved coaching before I even had kids, and just you try to expose them and you know what if they think there's an affinity and passion you do everything you can to support them and start it from that so yeah a real natural progression and I still probably 90 percent of my friends that I still have today are ones that I played with as kids of hockey and into men's league hockey and you just realize what the sport can give back so it's just been a great blessing.
0: Well that, that's a that's a great answer and great perspective and it, and you you touched on this a little bit but I want to expand on something you said there and Gary, you know, whenever I do a segment with with hockey parents or with minor hockey or, you know, I, I don't I don't have kids, but with with friends uh, who who do have children who are growing up, you know, I always get that discussion about the, the balance. Like nobody wants to be the crazy hockey dad. Right. But no one wants yep. to be. But no one wants to be the, the dad who's saying 10 years later. Oh man! If maybe I'd encouraged him a little more to try out for this team or do that, how did you balance some of that? Maybe recognizing Kale's ability, um, but you know, maybe knowing like do you have to know when to back off the throttle a little bit sometimes too. Or how did you handle that?
3: Yeah, I think you know I'm I'm pretty much a a student of a lot of psychology and mental psychology, and you know, having worked in advertising agencies for a year and really a, a passion of mine from a, a whole growth mindset standpoint was. Lord, my, my wife, and I just kind of had a plan with kids in terms of being able to expose them to as much as possible and, and teach them to think, to cope at the earliest age possible. So you're, you're, you you're have to realize that it's not what you want. It's, it's exposing your kids to everything, whether it's musical instruments or sports or reading, and seeing what they like and making that fun a huge component of it. So we never really were like, you know what? You're not going to be a professional hockey player. There's never the plan of that. Once we realized that Kale and Taylor, our younger one, a real affinity to the sport, well, you, you help them not only in the physical side, but our, our real focus in a lot of ways was was the mental side, honestly, in trying to ensure that, um, you know, they were learning when they were doing it and they were enjoying it because at the foundation of everything is your your self-esteem, which leads to confidence, and you're the one that has to do it yourself at the end of the day. And, to this date, we have a little statement with, you know, it's the man in the mirror that uh, it's all your own personal responsibility. So you encourage them, you put them in good programs, and you surround yourself with really good people with integrity to help the coaching and the physical stuff. But at the end of the day, they have to have fun doing it. And uh, if they have fun doing it, it's not work. You're not You're not worrying about who's the next guy because they're driving themselves versus you driving them to achieve and so it's kind of a unique perspective but it's uh we, you know very happy to be surrounded with a, a great team of guys since they were young players that uh helping them and when you when the kid has a good attitude people want to help you and it really becomes that that family of support
0: yeah well said gary mccarr joining us on inside sports tonight he is the father of Cale mccarr now a defenseman for the colorado avalanche as they get set for the second round of the nhl playoffs I got to ask you about the decision to go the route of playing in the AJHL and then to the NCAA. Obviously, you know Kale, a, a great player get into his teens, and, and could have gone to the WHL. Uh, tell me a little bit about, about weighing the the options there and, and the ultimate decision for uh, for Kale to go to the AJHL.
3: Sure, absolutely. You know, in my work, kind of as a, as a business consultant, and even in everything, and with my kids, we. We sort of have a real basic planning, planning method of operation, which is uh, where are you now, where do you want to go, how are you going to get there? So you actually can simplify the process. And, you know, I probably did a lot more research than, honestly, a lot of the most hockey parents in seeing what the options were. And it's all available on the Internet. It all just takes time to research. And then we had a, a very good insights with my nephew, a fellow named Mark Logan, who played with the Brooks Bandits. And Mark got his scholarship for RIT. He just finished his fourth year now, but got exposed to that side of it, you know, really intimately to realize, okay. And you quickly find out that Brooks is, you know, one of the the best run franchises. They just treat everything as close as possible to the NCAA side. And our, our goal, once we knew the kids had passion and talent with hockey was, you know, education, I tell them has to be, has to be your goals. Your dream absolutely is the NHL. And you know what? As tough as it is, never lose that. But the the goal is the education. You're having fun doing it. You just sort of progress that way. Well, there's there's no better, there's no best route or not. But for us, in particular, Kale, who was relatively small, it was just a real logical choice. Saying, you know what, um, he's probably going to develop a little bit slower just because of his size. Knowing that he's going to be a big guy because I'm I'm six one and I'm the smallest guy in our family. But it was a made decision from the Brooks, seeing the quality of the program, the coaching with Paps and Scotty there, that my nephew had been in it firsthand, to say, you know what, it's just a natural. And the interesting thing, you could try that way, and if you don't like it or it's not to you, you can always go the other way. But what a lot of parents, a lot of them still today don't realize, if you sign that contract after being drafted in the Western Hockey League, and you step on the ice, it it voids your chances to play NCAA hockey. So when you step back and you put it on the table, it's it was the right decision, absolutely for us. And it's a longer progression. You really get more chance to develop if you're not in any rush to get anywhere. And our whole plan was see how you progress, because you know, honestly, Reid, if you're good and you got the right attitude and character, they're going to find you. There's no hidden kids these days. It's it's incredible how uh, you know how so much scouting takes place at everything. So it was a pretty relatively easy decision for us having been exposed. And at the same time, and I, I get the opportunity of do some speaking on behalf of College Hockey, Inc., which is a, a marketing side for the NCAA, just to tell our story. And I tell them there's no right or wrong way. It's it's really up to the parents and the kids working in tandem to make that decision and really ask as many questions as you can. Otherwise, you you don't know what you want at 14 years old. So... That's what I tell everybody. Take the time, figure out, get yourself a plan and get exposed to both routes because uh, there's no right or wrong. And the Western Hockey League is a tremendous league. It really is. Ron Robinson is one of the, the best individuals you'll ever meet. The league is fantastic. And for some kids, you want to get there faster and you've got the physical size and things, it's a great option. For us, the AJHL and particularly the Brooks program was just perfect. And it's that progression which led to a bunch of exposure with colleges and just been great for us.
0: Yeah, well said for sure. Gary, I got to ask you this, and you touched on it a little bit at the beginning, but what was it like seeing him make his Avalanche debut, his NHL debut, and not just that, but in a playoff series? And oh, by the way, against the Calgary Flames. Uh, I I believe the team he grew up cheering for. That must have been pretty crazy.
3: It was, you know, it was bizarre and and conflicted is the big word. Honestly, Reed. Uh, And it even made it more so because when I was in the agency business, we did so much of work for the Calgary Flames from a public relations and even an advertising standpoint. I still know a lot of people there. There's just a class organization. Um, Peter Hanlon, who's the vice president of communications, is just an absolute gem of a guy. He was the first one that came and shook our hand at the draft for Kale. Just all these connections. And, I mean, I don't know if there's a piece of Calgary Flames gear that we we don't own as fans. Gale doesn't own as a fan, so here's Laura and I in the stand shaking our white pom-poms, go, abs, go. And, you know, Mark Giordano's my favorite player. He's just a phenomenal human being, and you're like, something doesn't feel right. So I thought when we got home from Denver we might find our house egged or something, but, uh, boy, <laughs> tough. You hit it on the nose, Reed. It was very tough, that's for sure.
0: Well, it, it turned out pretty well. The Avs, uh, one of uh, one of many incredible stories, I guess, out of the out of the first round. But uh, f- from an individual story, uh, Cale might be at the top for sure, jumping in there and playing so well. Well, I, I didn't even ask you. What was your reaction when he scored? You must have been going nuts. <laughs>
3: uh, you just, yeah. I think they showed us on the screen. It was funny, Laura and I, and I was just wow because we're going. You know what? He just came off off the plane, basically. You know, from NCAA. Which is really good hockey, the national championship. And I tell you, you're you paying playing some big guys at a high level and nothing really phases Kale, but I didn't expect him to get that much ice time. I thought, you know what, they'll use him in, maybe give him three or four minutes or so second power play and but you know what? It it's it's almost not unexpected in the way because he's he's a cool customer. He doesn't you know, he takes everything, reframes it as a challenge and puts it on his shoulders and what can he do? So I think it was really nice to see the coaches give him some confidence and, and see what he could do. But, yeah, you, you pinch yourself, in your first shot on goal, you, you score. You can't write that stuff. It's just nutty, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, well, Gary, I, I mean, thanks so much for your perspective. It, it, it's really cool and taking us all the way back to when Cale to when was a young guy getting involved in the game and, and where he is now, and obviously he's got, uh, he's got a lot of greatness ahead of him. Thank you so much for your time, and enjoy the rest of the postseason. I hope we'll talk again.
3: Awesome. Appreciate it, Reed. Thanks for talking to me. Well, no doubt about it. The
0: Avalanche have a good one coming in Kale McCarr. Very impressive during the playoffs. Colorado going all the way to a seventh game before losing to San Jose. All right. Ken Holland taking over as the general manager of the Edmonton Oilers. His tenure in Detroit overall, excellent, though uh, didn't end so well. The Red Wings, not a very good team the last few years. We'll talk about that with Jeff Rieger from ninety-seven won the ticket in Detroit when we get back. Ken Holland, the new general manager of the Edmonton Oilers. We had extensive coverage of that hiring when it happened. And, of course, we, the, the days leading up to that, uh, you pretty much knew it was going to go down. Just a matter of when it was going to be announced. Jeff Rieger hosts the Detroit Red Wings broadcast on ninety-seven 97.1 The Ticket in Detroit. He's been around the Red Wings for several years. Uh, Dave Campbell was uh, in for me the uh, week of Holland's hiring, and he spoke to Jeff about Holland's time in Detroit.
4: Think what you want about Kenny, and we could talk about what people think about him. However, the one thing I do know is that he still has the passion to do this, and I think he'll be motivated, and I think he'll be out to prove the doubters wrong as well. So, when they hired, talking about the Wings, hiring Steve Eiserman, and they had the press conference, and it was really weird because Holland was sitting there the whole time, and, and they made it sound like it was Ken Holland's idea to bring Eiserman in, and, and I don't think anybody was buying that, to tell you the truth. Now, they're buddies, so I don't think he was against it, but I think Kenny probably wanted to keep his job and try, probably wanted to uh, you know, rebuild the wings himself. So it doesn't shock me at all that, that he's, he's going to go to Edmonton or, or really anywhere else because as soon as they hired Eiserman. Despite them saying, "Well, we gave Holland an extended contract, I-, I-, I knew he wanted to be a GM again
5: and you talk about sitting at that press conference and and you know looking at Ken Holland and you know they're trying to sell you the team's trying to sell you that it was his idea, and obviously we can all see through that. The fact that he has the passion. To keep doing this um and i know Oilers fans are very polarized on this subject and sure. um you know they're not sure about ken holland i think overall you say you look at ken holland's resume and you go wow that's incredible four stanley cup championships look at look at the players that have come through that red wing system that red wings team i mean you got legends i mean including the the current general manager but then people look at ken holland you know even go go back to post you know, salary cap era uh, when the salary cap was brought in or, and even encapsulated to the last five years and there's a lot of Oiler fan that, that goes, I, I don't know whether this is the right hire or not, but first, tell me about the passion that he has to keep doing this and then we'll get to all the, what's happened in the recent history but the fact that he has the passion to keep doing this has being a motivator for him to come to Edmonton.
4: Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. He's 63 years old as we already mentioned and I think he loves not liked. I think he loves being a general manager. And, I mean, obviously, I really do believe it's been the last 10 years that drives him because while he's heard some of the stuff that you're talking about, and listen, fans in Detroit weren't happy either. Now, you can't take away the cups that he's won. You can't take away the gems that he's found in the draft. The Ken Holland haters will say, oh, my God, Sergei Fedorov. Well, you know, Ken didn't find him. How can Anderson found him? You know, there's there's always – a story, I guess, for the Ken Holland haters as, well, Kenny wasn't responsible for any of the success. But when you really look at it, he came in 97, he won four Stanley Cups. The success happened under his watch. Then, if you look at what happened afterwards, a salary cap happened, and we knew Ken Holland was a genius when he was able to go out and trade deadlines and in the offseason, spend a lot of money and bring a lot of good players in, and, and they won Cups that way. But let's not forget, too, that Ken Holland and the Detroit Red Wings were for a while, the only team that made the playoffs in the salary cap and non-salary cap. So he was doing well for a while. The problem is, and we'll never get this answer, but this is what I believe. I can just tell you what I believe. I believe at some point, The Wings had a 25-year playoff streak. I believe at some point the owners, the Illiches, said, we want that that to continue. I think they enjoyed having the home playoff gates because why wouldn't you? It's extra money. And, yes, I think they went to Ken Holland, and I can't prove this. And I think they said, you got to keep this going. So while Ken Holland probably realized that the rebuild needed to happen three, four years before it actually did, I think the Illiches probably said, I need you to keep making the playoffs. And that's your job as a GM. You do what your boss says. So, again, I can't prove that either way. But if that is a fact, and that's what I believe, some of the moves that he made I do believe look a little more palatable than if he's really thinking to himself, oh, my God, I'm delusional here and I really think we're a playoff team. Like, I think if you were to ask him, I don't know, two or three years before they started rebuilding officially, I think he'd probably tell you, you know, yes, we need to rebuild, but ownership probably won't let me. So, If that makes you feel any better, I I don't know. But he does get killed in Detroit for his last seven to ten years, and and rightfully so. But I think that's what drives and where that passion starts.
0: All right, Jeff Rieger, that's uh, from 97-1, the ticket in Detroit. Ken Holland taking over the Edmonton Oilers. I, I think we all know what the problems are. We all know that the rest of the league knows what the Oilers' problems are. Will Ken Holland be able to uh, chip away at fixing them? I don't think it's going to be an easy fix. I think it'll probably take a couple of years to evaluate how Holland is doing. But he did say he uh, has the playoffs as a goal he thinks they're possible in the upcoming nineteen twenty season. So uh, we will obviously be keeping a close eye on that. We're back after the 7 o'clock news with more Best of Inside Sports on 630. Chad, former big league pitcher Mike Johnson, with some recollections of Vlad Guerrero when we return.